everything and one's always ruining their plans. But I found that, you know, that that's true in life. There's there's some that really like to plan everything. And there's some that really, honestly, they could care less about planning absolutely anything. They like to maybe live in the moment. They like to choose and maybe try to be spontaneous tonight. I think maybe or this morning, I think a friendly way of putting it is they like to be adventurous. But but a lot of us, we, we like to plan. I like to plan. I prefer to have a schedule. I prefer to have a calendar. If you go into my office, I think I have three calendars in there. I like to know what I'm going to do. And a lot of you are the same way, especially tomorrow morning when you go to work. You want to know what the plan is. You want to make sure that you have an idea of what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that's that's probably likely for at least most of us is we like to have at least maybe whether it's steps, whether it's a direction to go for that day. We like to have some kind of plan. Plans are important. You know, construction workers won't go out there tomorrow and just start building something. No, they got a blueprint. They have something that they're supposed to do. When you turn on the TV and watch the Georgia Bulldogs, those guys aren't just going out there improvising every single thing that they do. They have a game plan. They have something that the coach wants them to do. You know, here in Matthew 28, what we have is we have God's plan for our lives. Whether it's as a Christian or if you're not a Christian yet this morning, God has a plan for every single one of us. I'm thankful that God's given us some direction. I'm thankful that we don't just have to wander about seeking what we can do and maybe just flying by the seat of our plans, planning on just trying to find something to do. God has clearly given us some direction and God's given us it to us here in this book in his word. I like what somebody said about the Bible. They said B-I-B-L-E stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. It's basically what they're saying is it's God's plan of direction for us. And here in Matthew 28, what we know as the Great Commission holds God's plan for every single person in this room and every single person that God has created. You know, as we think of the Great Commission, it's Jesus rallying the disciples together. He has them there in this last meeting before he heads to heaven. And he's giving them his plans, giving them some marching orders, if you will. I think of it like a commander, maybe taking taking his group of men out into battle. And he's giving them a last word of encouragement. He's giving them those last words of direction. And he's telling them, as you go out, here is what I want you to do. And today it's like we're hearing from Jesus himself as we read his word, because these are the words of Jesus to his disciples, that this is what he wants us to be doing. You're there in Matthew 28. If you look down at verse number 19, the Bible says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus here has taken his closest followers and he gives them one command to live out for the rest of their lives. Go and evangelize, baptize and disciple. I believe as we see the Great Commission, oftentimes we hear people come in and preach and they preach mainly on that very first point of going out and being a witness. And that's important. That is really the crux, the emphasis of the Great Commission. But if we neglect the next two steps, we're missing something. Really, the Great Commission is not just one plan, but it's a plan that goes full circle. And that's what I want to look at this morning is the full circle of the Great Commission. How God has designed these few verses, first of all, to impact ourselves so that we can go and impact others. 
See, the Great Commission was not just a challenge to go and reach the lost, although it is. But it's also to let Jesus Christ come in and do a work in our lives that we can go and win the lost. So that we can teach them to follow Jesus. And so that we can disciple them so that they can go and do the same thing for somebody else. You see, the Great Commission comes full circle. And that's what I want to look at for the next few moments this morning. Would you pray with me as we get started? Dear Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, you're so good to us. We thank you, Lord, for the songs that we're able to sing to you, Lord. I'm thankful that you're with us, God, that you hold our hand, God, that you are guiding us. And I pray that this morning that you would speak to us through your word, through your spirit. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to really be involved in every way of the Great Commission. God, help us to be involved in your plan. Help us to see, Lord, maybe some areas that we need to step it up a little bit. Lord, help us to see maybe some part, Lord, of the Great Commission that we're not feeling, that we're not, Lord, taking, undertaking like we're supposed to. I pray that you would teach us, that you would help us, and that you would grow us in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you look down at verse 17, if you would, just for a few moments? That verse starts a few verses before the Great Commission. It says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You see, the first step of the Great Commission, the first side of of the Great Commission is God's Great Commission inside of us. Is God first working in us? Because before we can go and reach a world for Jesus Christ, before we can lead people to follow Jesus, before we can disciple others, first God has to work in our own hearts. And what it says there with his disciples is that some doubted. The first step of the Great Commission or the first step of God's plan for our lives this morning is to be saved. If you notice right there, the disciples who have been following Jesus for the last three and a half years, the disciples who have spent time with Jesus, who Jesus has personally taught himself about the gospel and about their need for Jesus Christ and the importance of the cross, the disciples who watched Jesus be taken away and be led to the cross, the disciples that maybe watched Jesus die on the cross and now they're meeting with the resurrected Christ. It says some doubted. We know that all throughout those three and a half years, the disciples struggled to grasp exactly what Jesus was teaching them about the gospel. We know that for a long time, they struggled with their own faith in Jesus. I think of Thomas as Jesus has risen from the dead and he goes and he he talks to Thomas. And what does Thomas say? He says, Lord, unless I put my fingers inside of the nail prints or unless I thrust my hand in your side, I will not believe. The disciples have been following Jesus for three and a half years, yet some still struggled with their faith in Christ himself. And I know this morning we have a great regular, a lot of regular attenders, a lot of those that that we come every day, every Sunday and every Wednesday. And we're here and we hear God's word. A lot of you are in God's word every day. But the first step for the Great Commission is that you have to be sure of your own salvation and your own faith. They weren't sure about their own faith in Jesus. And before they could ever fulfill the great commission for others, the great commission had to be fulfilled in their own hearts first. That command in verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. The idea is to go and make disciples, to go and make converts, to go and preach the gospel so that others can be saved. We see it in in Mark and in other books of the Bible where it talks about go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. But before we can ever get there, the gospel has to impact our lives. You see, if you don't believe in something, you aren't going to be able to lead others to faith themselves. 
I think a lot of you know that, uh, at least by now of getting to know me a little bit, that I am a city kid through and through. So you've heard me tell stories about our kayaking trips that did not go very well. If you've seen me go, um, I, I still have never been hunting. I haven't been fishing probably in about six or seven years. I hope you still like me after I say these things. Uh, but but I, I'm a city kid, okay? I'm not I'm not a guy, that outdoorsman like many of you are. And, and so every once in a while, I'll ask, you know, what do you do when you go out and you go hunting or you go fishing? Or, or recently what I heard a, a bit about was backpacking. Pastor likes to go backpacking. I know some of the other men in the church like to go backpacking. And so they were telling me about it. I was like, well, well what exactly do you do? What, what, what is enjoyable about this? Why do you cho- choose to go backpacking? And so they start telling me, well, you get this backpack and you, you stuff it with your, your sleeping bag and with your food and all these different things. And it's really heavy. And then you go and you hike for about 20 miles. At night, it's cold sometimes. It can be pretty cold, especially for when we go out around this time of year. It's pretty cold. And then you get back to your car and you go home. And I was just sitting there thinking about it. That does not sound inspiring <laughs> at all. They explained it to me and they said, but you know, then time in nature is worth it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm thinking hiking 20 miles, carrying a big backpack. At the end, you're tired, you're sore, you're cold at night. And I'm thinking, this does not sound too great. A few weeks later, after we had that conversation with a few of the men in here, I remember asking a, a friend, somebody I'd just gotten to know a little bit, and he said that he was into backpacking. And I was like, well, well what do you do? Why do you enjoy it? And he got to the end, and he's like, really, it's not that fun, but if that's your sort of thing, then go for it. And this was something that he liked to do, and as they were talking to me about it, I was not very inspired to go out and go backpacking. And if you were to ask me, should you go backpacking, I would probably tell you one or two things. My first answer would probably be, absolutely not. It sounds terrible. <laughs> My second answer might be, well, you know, I've never been before, but, but if you enjoy that sort of thing, go for it. You know, I would not be too inspiring about this, this sport of backpacking. Why? Because I myself have never been. And I cannot influence anybody in here, especially after what I just said for the, fast, the past five minutes. I could not encourage anybody in here to go backpacking. Because I've never been there myself. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you will struggle greatly to impact other people to follow after Jesus. If you're desiring to be a disciple and to take part in God's plan of the Great Commission, then you will struggle to impact somebody else if you are unsure of your faith this morning. Whether it's a lack of assurance of salvation or whether it's just the fact that you have never been born again, the first step in God's plan for you, for you to take out the Great Commission, is for the Great Commission, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be be fulfilled in your own heart by you having faith in Jesus yourself. Acts 4.12 says, "Neither Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And that name is Jesus. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The gospel is very clear that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth and he died for our sins on that cross so that we could be forgiven and so that our life could be changed from the inside out. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus, understand this morning that he is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. And he is the only way to experience real, true change by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's right. As I read this passage and as I studied and I saw that verse in verse 17. 
So some worshipped him and some doubted. I don't know where you are this morning. Many of you I've spoken to and you may have a clear testimony of your salvation. But if you are not sure that you have ever placed your faith in Jesus, if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, that is the most important decision that you can make because that is where it all starts, is that you have your own salvation testimony where Jesus Christ has come into your life and where the gospel has been real to you. Because the disciples were not going to go and make a difference until the gospel was real to them. Thomas was never going to do anything until he said, my Lord and my God, as he put his hands into the nail prints of Jesus Christ, Christ, and you first have to know that you believe in Jesus Christ without a doubt. It's the very beginning of the Great Commission. As Jesus stood before his disciples, he had just shown them the way of salvation. He had just prior to this died on the cross for their sins and been raised again. He had already met with them. He had been seen of over 500 people at once. And despite their doubts, Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was the one, the Lamb of God that had just taken away the sins of the world. And they had to put their faith in him. This morning, number one, you need to be saved. This morning, number two, you need to be following Look with me at verse 19 again. That first part says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And the next step is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Baptism means or at least indicates many things. As we baptize somebody, of course, it's, it's the great picture of the, of the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As somebody gets baptized, we often call it maybe the first step of obedience in their life for Christ. When we're discipling somebody and we talk to them about baptism, I like to indicate to them and tell them how it's a picture to everybody else that they have put their faith in Jesus and that they are going to follow him. You see, this first step of obedience that God was commanding the disciples to go and reach people with the gospel And then to make sure that they make that decision to follow after God in baptism. Remember, this has to be internalized first. Remember, the Great Commission has to affect us first. And we first, yes, have to be saved. But then we have to be following after Jesus like we're supposed to be. For the last three years, those disciples were following Jesus. They were going everywhere Jesus went. They were sleeping wherever Jesus slept. They were going to whatever multitude Jesus went to. They were doing the things that Jesus had asked them to do. They were following him literally every single step of the way. And now their goal was going to be to encourage other people to follow after Jesus Christ. But they first had to follow him themselves. One of my first jobs in California was to work at a trampoline park. It was a neat job, really interesting. Got there and uh, I remember the first day, I think I started about eight o'clock in the the morning. I went to that trampoline park and you wonder, what do you do at eight o'clock in the morning at a trampoline park? Well, I went, I got there my first day, talked to my manager and and he welcomed me, told me, kind of showed me where everything was. And he said, okay, for the first week, here is your duty. Here's your job for the first week. You see our assistant manager, Tracy, you follow him wherever he goes. And I remember wherever Tracy went, Tracy, I'd have to follow him. He would tell me, hey, this is this is how we clean the mats. This is how we clean the trampolines. This is how we take every foam pit out of the foam pit. And we'd have to do all those different things. And I had to follow him every single day for that first week until I knew the job and could do it myself. 
He taught me all the ropes. He taught me everything to do. And eventually, before I left, I would have to do the same thing for somebody else. That's Jesus' goal for us, is that we would follow after Jesus so that we would learn everything about Jesus, so that we would learn and grow in Jesus, so that eventually down the road we can lead somebody else to follow after him as well. This is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian, it means to be a Christ follower, to be like Jesus. It means to be a little Christ. And in order to do that, we have to take steps every single day to be like him. In order to do that, we have to spend time in God's word. In order to do that, we have to make some decisions that we're going to put Jesus first in our life and we're going to follow after him instead of following after ourselves. I think of what Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 16, just a few chapters earlier. If you'd like to turn there, Matthew 16. Jesus is challenging them right here in the middle of teaching them about the cross and about the plan of salvation. Jesus challenges Peter and he challenges the rest of the disciples that if you're going to be real about following me, this is what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Matthew 16 and verse 21 says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he shall reward every man according to his works. Jesus begins teaching the disciples. Here's what's going to have to happen. I'm going to have to go to the cross. I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to die for your sins. Peter takes him apart and rebukes him. And Jesus' first word to Peter is, Peter, you don't savor the things of God. And he takes that moment to teach all the disciples, if you're really going to follow me when it gets difficult here soon, if you're really going to be identified with Jesus Christ who will die on the cross here in just a moment, If you're really going to be a true disciple, not just somebody that sits and learns about me, but somebody that follows me all the way, if you're going to do those things, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and you have to follow me. Jesus challenges them to be a true follower of Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us very clearly that we have to put the things of Jesus before the things of our own will. That we very clearly have to be willing to take up our cross. That means we have to be willing to deny our will and to deny our flesh and to say, God, I'm going to put your will and I'm going to put your glory before my own. We have to be willing to say no to self and yes to God in every area of our lives. We have to take steps. And Jesus, I want to be like you in this area. Jesus, I want to know you better by spending time in your word. Jesus, I want to spend time in prayer. Jesus, I I don't mind suffering for the gospel. If I give the gospel and somebody makes fun of me or somebody's rude to me, Jesus, it's okay. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. 
God, I'm going to live for your kingdom and not the kingdom of this world. God, I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven and not in earth. That's what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And the disciples had to learn that. I think of the first time that Jesus met most of these men. The call was very simple. Follow me. The call was very simple. Hey, just come after me. He called out their name and he invited them to follow. He taught them about himself so that they would believe in the gospel and they believe in Jesus Christ. But they had to learn that following Jesus, it wasn't just that very easy decision maybe that first day. It might get difficult here in a few minutes, a few moments when Jesus was taken away. It was going to get difficult in the book of Acts when they suffered persecution for preaching Jesus Christ. They were going to have to make some hard choices, maybe to leave some family behind, maybe just to leave some friends behind. They were going to make some hard decisions not to build up their own wealth and to build up their own life, but to follow after the kingdom of God. And Jesus was teaching them in Matthew 16 that in order to do those things, you have to put me first instead of yourselves. And if we're really going to carry out the Great Commission, we have to be following Jesus just like that. We have to be putting Jesus first in every area of our life. This morning, you need to be saved. You need to be following. But number three, you need to be growing. Look there in Matthew 28 again, if you will, in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Be growing. The end of the Great Commission to those that have been saved, to those of you that have been baptized, to those of you that are following after Jesus, is to continue growing in your faith, continue growing in how you observe all things that Christ has commanded us. In the Christian life, different people make different comparisons. Maybe they talk about the Christian life and they'll say it's not a sprint, it's a journey. They'll say maybe it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Some people will maybe give you a picture of following Jesus and they'll talk about how it's like climbing a mountain or traveling to a far land. They'll tell you all these things about about following Jesus and about growing in our Christian life. But really, it's not like many of those things because the process of following after Jesus doesn't end. The process of our of us growing in our faith, it's not over. The process of following Jesus and learning more about him and obeying him better and knowing his word, it doesn't stop. But it's something that has to be continual. The idea is don't be grown or the idea is not be grown. It's not be mature. It's not be to this point in your life where you've where you've just made it. No, the idea is to continually grow in Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 3.18, it says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're supposed to continually grow. That means growing in our study of His Word. That means growing in our prayer life. That means growing in our victory over sin like we heard the, the last week and a half or so. That means growing in our fellowship with the Holy Spirit like Pastor even admonished us this morning. That means growing in our giving and growing in our church attendance and growing and observing what God has commanded us to do. The different things like being baptized and and following God in the Lord's table. It means growing in all of these areas, growing in our witness, growing in how Jesus teaches us and the things that we are supposed to do to follow after him. Many of us look at salvation like we're outside of this building and we're living in freedom and Living, just doing whatever we want and we're living, you know, maybe obeying the devil and, and just in sin and all these different areas. We look at, at it like we're outside of this building. 
We look at it like, you know, we're just doing our own thing. We're living our own life. But the problem with that picture is we look at it like we come into this building and when we're saved and we can just sit down and do nothing. We look at it like outside of these walls is freedom and outside of Jesus is freedom. And coming to salvation is a time to just sit and rest. We have this picture as though somebody were to come into those back doors and they were to come and sit a while. That that is the picture of salvation. We come into Jesus and we sit and we rest and do nothing. But really the picture is flipped around. You see, it's like we're in this room and we're in bondage to sin and we're in bondage to our past life and we're in bondage to to whatever is causing us to be away from God and our unbelief in God. And when we get saved, it's like Jesus opens the door and then we're free to live for God in freedom. We're free to serve Jesus Christ. We're free to go and make a difference. The idea of Christianity is not that we come into salvation and sit and do nothing, but the idea of Christianity and being saved is that when we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus opens the door and we're free to go out and And live for him and to grow and to make a difference. And that is the picture right here of teaching them to observe all things. Is that our salvation does not just stop when we get saved and baptized. That the Christian life that we have not reached the pinnacle. Just because we've been saved, baptized and we go to church. That there is so much more to experience and to grow in and to follow after in Jesus himself. And we have to continually be growing. I ask you this morning, what's the last step that you've taken to grow in your faith with Jesus? What is a meaningful decision that you have made to grow in Christ? I know many of you, maybe you've been saved for many years. You might have to think, I don't know the last decision that I've made to follow after Jesus more closely. But God calls us to continually grow. Are you observing all the things that God has commanded you? Are you obeying everything that God tells us to do? Are you continually growing? You see, the first part of the Great Commission is the work that God has to do in ourselves. It's the work that God was doing in the disciples to help them be saved, to follow Jesus in baptism, to follow Jesus with their lives, and then to continually grow in Christ. And this morning, if you've never taken any of those three steps, that's the first thing that you have to do. Before we get into the next part of this message, if you're reading Matthew 28 and you've not been a witness and you've not shared the gospel and you've not discipled other people, maybe the problem isn't isn't your obedience necessarily. Maybe the first part is that you just haven't let Jesus work in your life in these ways. Because before you can take the gospel, before you can disciple somebody else, you have to be following God in these three areas. You have to be saved. You have to be a true disciple of Jesus, following him in everything. And you have to be continually growing. I said there's with the Great Commission, there's a full circle. So I've studied this passage. I've looked at looked at it in this way that starts here at salvation. Starts in following Jesus. Then it continues in growth. Then we take the next step is not the Great Commission in us, but the Great Commission through us. Matthew 28 and look at verse 19 with me. When Jesus has worked in our lives in these ways, we can let it look at these verses a little bit differently. And we can follow the commands that God has given us in verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, 
This right here is the key to what God has called us to do on earth is to reach other people with the gospel. Because as we grow, as we follow Jesus, we will reach others. I love what Jesus told the disciples. He told them, follow me and I might make you fishers of men. He looked at these disciples. He said, follow, follow after me. Come and be a disciple of me. And eventually I might let you lead somebody to Jesus. He told the disciples, follow after me. And if you do this, 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 and this, then eventually you'll get to lead somebody else to salvation. No, that's not what Jesus told them. Very simply, he said, follow me and I shall make you fishers of men. You see, there's that full circle right there. That as we follow Jesus in salvation and we follow Jesus with being a disciple, that God will work in us to carry out the great commission to others and to lead other people to Jesus. Paul exemplifies that in Romans 1 when he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you and to those that are at Rome also. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, Paul had this understanding that what Jesus had done in him had made him a debtor to go and share the gospel with other people. That's the goal of the Great Commission, to go and give the gospel. Whether it's by passing out a tract, whether it's by being a missionary, whether it's by witnessing to a friend or a neighbor, the goal of the Great Commission, the command that all of us are to be involved with, is to go and tell somebody else about Jesus. But unless God has worked in your life, you're not going to do it. Unless you've been saved, unless you've been following Jesus, unless you're growing, you are going to struggle with sharing the gospel. Oh, but when you are doing those things, God will do it inside of you. God will work inside of you to be that fisher of men that he has called you to do. And Paul had this mindset that Jesus has saved me. Jesus has transformed my life and I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. So then I am a debtor to preach this gospel to everybody else. And he said, and I am not ashamed. The reason that we struggle to preach the gospel sometimes. is because we don't quite fathom what Jesus has done inside of us. The reason that we struggle to pass out a tract, the reason that we struggle to tell somebody else about our faith in Jesus, how how they could be saved, is because sometimes we don't have that mindset that because Jesus has saved me and because I'm following Jesus, then it just becomes natural. Because when we do those things, God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And one aspect of that is sharing with somebody else what Jesus has done for us. That's what it means to be a witness. It doesn't mean that you have to stand and prepare a three-point outline. It doesn't mean that you have to go out and be all professional about your sharing of Jesus. To be a witness is simply to testify of what God has done in you. And it's part of that circle that when you're doing those things and when God has worked in you, you too will be able to share the gospel with Jesus. Share the gospel of Jesus. Has Jesus worked in you enough lately that you can't but just help? Can't help but to share the gospel with somebody. Are you grasping what God has done in your life to the extent that you have to tell somebody about Jesus? Is there a change that's evident in your life because you made some decision to follow God that somebody asked you, hey, what's different? Why are you making these decisions? Why are you making these choices? What's going on in your life? And you're able to tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's what God has commanded us to do. It's something that God has called us to do. And we have to do it by what Jesus has done in us so that we can share the gospel with others. 
I love what the apostle said. He said, the love of Christ constraineth me. He said, what Jesus has done in showing his love to me, that's what compels me to go and tell somebody about Jesus. These apostles, they all went and they were all persecuted. They all went out and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and were opposed and they faced great persecution. They faced great opposition, but they were determined to tell other people what they had witnessed of Jesus and what Jesus had done in their life because it was real to them. Is it real to you this morning? You have to be saved, be following, be growing. This point here was be witnessing. Number five this morning, be leading, be leading, be leading others. Look at Matthew 28 and verse 19. We've read that first part. The second half of that says baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. When somebody follows God and believers baptism, it's because they are led to do so by somebody else who is who's truly following Jesus. We say that picture raised to walk in newness of life. Think of the idea of being a follower of Jesus. When somebody makes that decision, more often than not, it happens because they are impacted by somebody else who is following after Jesus. And so my next question this morning is, who are you leading to follow Christ? It doesn't just have to be in the baptism pool. It doesn't just have to be maybe in personal discipleship. But who are you impacting to follow Jesus, to be a true follower of Christ like the disciples were? I think of the Apostle Paul, what he said in 1 Corinthians, he said, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. He said, give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. He said, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. He starts the next chapter with this. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul said, I'm living for the glory of God in everything I do for this purpose, that others would believe in Jesus and that others would follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. But it starts in you living to please God in everything you do. And it continues in you making an impact in somebody else. We ought to be leading our families. We ought to be leading our friends. You ought to be leading your children. We ought to be leading the next generation. We ought to be leading those people, our co-workers, our neighbors, to follow after Jesus. Yes, we want to share the gospel with Him, but it doesn't stop there. Yes, we want them to be saved, but it doesn't stop there. It continues with putting your arm around somebody and leading them in a way that is to follow after God with their lives. And that's what happens when Jesus becomes a full part of our lives. So what happens when we follow Jesus in everything we do. Because when you bring somebody along with you, they see every way that you're following Jesus and they're impacted by that. So who are you impacting to follow God? Who are you leading to follow Jesus? Yes, I hope it is in that you share the gospel and then that you influence somebody to be in church and be in God's word. I hope it is that way with your mouth, but I hope it's also with your life. That your kids are seeing how you follow Jesus. That your grandkids are seeing how you follow Jesus. That your coworkers are noticing some things. And that they too are compelled to follow after Jesus. Just like you. But it has to happen in your heart first. We do want people to be baptized. 
And that comes when they make a personal decision that they're going to follow God, that they're going to be involved in the local church, and that they're going to choose to follow after Jesus because of what he's done in their life. And that happens when we as Christians impact somebody else. The next part of the circle of Christianity is be leading. Lead somebody to follow Jesus. Yes, lead somebody to the Lord, lead somebody to salvation, but then lead them to take steps to follow after God every day. Lastly, this morning, and we're done, is be discipling. Look down at verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You know, it really is amazing how God has created our planet, how God's created our world, and that things just reproduce themselves. You know, I think of energy and the law of energy, how, how energy will, will not be destroyed. It's just simply transferred. I'm going back to like my fourth grade science class, and I'm thinking about, about the rain system. You know how rain evaporates, it, it gets condensates into clouds, and then the rain comes down. And what does it do? It's just a cycle. It just happens over and over and over again, and the same water is used for all those different things. Think of plant life, how, how plants just constantly reproduce themselves with the seeds, and how they die out, and, and, and then they fertilize themselves, and then they become a, another plant of the same thing. The things that God has created really is to be full circle. We see it in the planet. We see it in our lives. How God has created everything to be self-conserving and then to be self-sustaining and then to impact itself by reproducing and bringing more into the picture. That's this third part of the Great Commission. God has called us as Christians to start by being saved then following Jesus then growing in Christ so that we can do what? So that we can lead somebody else to faith in Jesus. So that we can lead somebody else to follow Christ. So that we can lead them to grow in Christ. So that they can do the same exact thing in somebody else's life. The Great Commission right here says, And then teach them to do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus was telling the disciples, Go out and make more disciples who will go out and make more disciples. The goal of Christianity is not just to come in and sit and say, I'm saved, great, I'm on my way to heaven, but then to be impacting more people to carry out the Great Commission so that they will make disciples themselves. We see this in the Apostle Paul who was discipled and helped by men like Ananias and Barnabas. And what does he say in 2 Timothy 2? He says, Thou therefore my son, talking to Timothy, who he has discipled, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witness. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul was discipled. He discipled Timothy and he exhorts Timothy. Now you go and disciple somebody else. Now you go and teach somebody else how to follow Jesus and how to grow in grace so that they can eventually lead somebody else and that they could teach them how to follow Jesus and they could teach them how to grow in grace so then that person could go and lead somebody else to Jesus so that that person could lead Jesus and so that the cycle can can continue and go and go and go because that is how God has designed us to go and reach the world for Christ. It's God's plan. Amen. Disciple your family. Are you teaching your kids to follow after Jesus in that way? Not just are you commanding them to, but are you explaining to them why you follow Jesus in those ways? 
Are you really teaching them? Disciple the next generation. Maybe there's a young person that you know that needs somebody to lead them to following after Jesus Christ. Disciple your friends. Does it mean you have to take a discipleship book and sit down with them once a week over a cup of coffee? It means invite them into your life and show them how to grow in Jesus. Sometimes that just means having them over for dinner. Sometimes that just means having a conversation with them every day at work. Sometimes that means naturally with your children, just telling them why you do certain things and maybe giving them one verse just to think about as you're driving down the road and saying, this is why we don't do this or this is why we do, in fact, do this. We follow after Jesus because of this. And that's how you disciple people. You teach them and you help them to realize that there's more than just being saved and sitting here. It's about impacting other people. So I ask you this morning, where are you in God's plan for your life today? Where are you in that circle of the Great Commission? It all starts at salvation. And friend, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, it's the greatest decision that you could ever make. Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you. He was buried and he rose again so that you could be forgiven of your sins and so that Jesus could come in and change your life. Have you been saved? Are you following after Jesus? Look, in order to fulfill the Great Commission, you've got to be following Jesus with your life. You have to be taking steps every single day to become more like Him, to put His will before your own, to put His glory before your own, to live for God's kingdom and not your own. Are you following Jesus? Are you growing? What's the most recent step that you've taken to grow in Christ? If there isn't one, then there's something that God wants you to do. God wants you to grow. And when the Great Commission has worked in you in those three areas, are you a witness? Who have you told about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who have you told about Jesus' love and Jesus' salvation? Who have you been a witness to? There's somebody that you know that needs the gospel? Share it with them. Are you leading somebody else to follow Jesus? Who are you impacting directly to follow after Christ? Some of the disciples went to their brother, they went to their friends, and they said, come and see. They impacted them to go with them and follow Jesus. And lastly, who are you discipling? Who are you teaching to grow in Christ and to take more steps to follow after Jesus? You should be discipling your family and those around you. What's the circle of the Great Commission? It's God's plan, and all of us have a part in God's plan. Aren't you grateful for that? You know, I I grew up playing sports here and there, and some sports I was okay at, and some sports I was not okay at. (laughs) Basketball being one of them. At 5'8", and being my height, I'm not very fast, can't jump very high. Basketball's not my sport. (laughs) But I know there's some sports like that where maybe we get the game plan, and who wasn't a part of it? Me. (laughs) Sometimes when we get ready to do something, and I was just not in the plans. And you know what? That was okay because I wasn't very good at basketball. That's all right. But you know God's planning is a part for every single person in here. No matter your age, no matter your step in life, maybe you've just been saved. God has a plan. God has a part for you. In his plan of the Great Commission, God has a step for every person to take. God has something for all of us to be doing. God's game plan for life doesn't neglect anybody. It doesn't leave anybody out, but rather it includes all of us.
to making a difference. Today and throughout this week, God wants you to make a difference in somebody else. And it starts right here in Matthew 28. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning?